Nicely done, beef. No matter how you're cooked. Grilled, sauteed, stir-fried, roasted, or stewed. Your savory sounds are music to everyone's ears. Yeah, now that's a dinner playlist. Good cooking at Beef. It's what's for dinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Well, welcome to Sunday Coffee. It's a snowy Sunday coffee here in Nanawaya, Mississippi. I don't know about you, Charlie, living in the crazy world of downtown Startville. Farm Bureau Studios go with the home team, Farm Bureau agents in all counties in the state of Mississippi. Charlie, on this Sunday, on this snowy Sunday on the hill, hey, big win yesterday in basketball, 78-76 over Alabama. That was a good win. I didn't expect that. And I think you were actually there in attendance, if I'm right. Yes, I was. Hey, let me tell you this. So yesterday I'm sitting at home, and I told all the guys, I was kind of bowing out of the game, of going to the game yesterday. And so we're sitting here, and I said, hey, Sims, you want to go to the game? And he says, hey, can I invite a friend? Sure, let's go. And so it was almost like I was a kid again. And we take that drive to Startville, and it's almost like an event. And we get there and go to the game. Hey, we had a blast. Sat in the upper deck, and I had several people walk up and say, hey, man, what are you doing up here? And I had a blast yesterday. Kind of felt like the old days. You know, the crowd was okay. It wasn't great. It was four or 5,000 there. But it just reminded me how much I enjoy a good basketball game at Humphrey Coliseum. Charlie, it's amazing. You know, you and I have talked about this. Whoever designed, I, I can't remember, and I'm sure I could look it up, whoever designed Humphrey Coliseum was an architectural genius. Because let me tell you this. I've sat in the top row in the corner of that arena. There's not a bad seat in the place. Well, I mean, Come on, they, they designed a bowl. And maybe maybe the beauty is the simplicity. Is that what you're telling me? They didn't get carried away and elaborate? No, but it's not a donut. You said it's a, it's a bowl, but it's not a donut. It's not like going to Southern Miss. It's not like going to Purdue. You know, those old cookie cutter, you know, like baseball, riverfront, you know, where everything was just the big circle. And so you get way away from the goal if you're on the sides at the very top. It's somewhat of an oval instead of the, of the donut. What is the name of the arena down at Hattiesburg? That's not M.M. Roberts, is it? Reed Green Coliseum. It's a butte, Clark. Yeah, I've been there once or twice. So, you know, I actually am not anti-Humphrey Coliseum. I am not as passionate as some people about thinking that we need to do a whole lot to it. I know we need more premium seating, but I still say, could the concourse be better? Yes. Could your entry experience be better? Yes. But once you get to your seat, that's not a bad arena at all to watch a basketball game. Now, we could debate on who's in which seats and where they ought to go and what we do with students and things like that. But I think there is there's something to the inside of that thing that you can still work with. Oh, I agree. And that's, that's my thought is everything on the outside, when you actually get to your seat and are sitting there watching a game, it's probably one of the you know top half of the league, to be honest with you. And I know some other places have bells and whistles, but as far as when you're in your seat, and I'll tell you this too, man. You know, back in the old days, Charlie, when you and I started going to games, they had the ceiling tiles up around where the air vents are, and so it was still loud, but when they took all those ceiling vents off, and then it started rattling around up there in the cages and then the, all the iron and the, the steel up there, it just got louder. That was the thing about when they did that in, what, 1998, it just made it a lot louder. Yeah, I guess those old tiles were somehow acoustic or something and killed some of the reverberation and that kind of thing. It did sound like a good atmosphere yesterday, and they had a good product to watch out on the court for the most part. So I want to run something past you. You're a guy who pays attention to numbers. You know who I like on this basketball team that – probably is flying a little bit under the radar. He doesn't play a ton of minutes. I have become a big fan of Anderson Garcia. And the reason and the thing that I seize upon for my fandom is the plus-minus stat. You're familiar with the plus-minus stat, but it basically is a – they measure the time that you were on the floor. What did you do as opposed to your opponent? And I go back – 
How about this? Ole Miss, he was a plus 12. Against Georgia, he was a plus 5. And then yesterday, he's a plus 3. And so you can say, well, what is a plus 3? That's not great. It's a game he won by 2. It's just something about him. He doesn't play a ton of minutes. But it seems like he does a lot of things that make other people better on the floor. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. And the thing about Anderson Garcia, I was on the defensive end. I think he's got pretty good defensive instincts because he'll overread a pass in a hurry. He'll step in a passing lane in a hurry. The only thing I'd like to see out of Anderson Garcia, and yesterday I thought he was a spark, is he needs to be more aggressive when he gets to the rim. Yesterday it was almost like he was scared to death he was going to get a shot blocked, and he missed a couple bunnies down low. But I tell you what, that comes with playing more and getting more comfortable around the rim. If he can continue to do that, get a little bit more confidence and be more aggressive when he gets to the rim, he's got a chance to be okay. He, he's a he's a guy, you know, we talk about Molinar, and yesterday Molinar, when he saw an opening, he realized he could get to the rim in a hurry. And it, it was there all day. And that's one of the things about Iverson. It wasn't settle, sitting outside and settling for threes. He realized when he had seams he could get to the rim. That was the thing that surprised me, Charlie. And I, I want to go kind of off on a little rant right now. As much as I've heard about the slow pace of play, and we talked about this last week. We were frustrated last week. And, we, you know, we're back this week. We feel completely different. And people talk about our pace of play being over 300. And I heard all week long, we need a team like Alabama. We need a coach like Nate Oates. We need to run up and down the floor and up and down the floor and up and down the floor. Let me tell you what what Alabama looked to me like yesterday. Alabama looked like a team that just rolls a ball out there and says go. And they just run up and down the floor. And what comes with that? Frustration comes with that style too. Because how many empty possessions did Alabama have yesterday? I thought we were much more the efficient team yesterday And people talk about how ugly the game was. For us to win that game, it had to be ugly. And that's how we win that game. But everybody talking about Nate Oates and running up and down the floor, that's what you see yesterday. You're going to have losses just like that. When you get a team that kind of slows it down, it gets frustrating, you start throwing it away, literally just roll a ball out there and say, go. You saw yesterday, too, though, what happens to a team like that when they don't shoot well. I think Shackelford was something like one for nine. You know, couldn't throw it in the ocean yesterday. And so a team that shoots a lot of three-pointers, they shot, I think, 29, made eight. And so – but then again, uh, boy, good thing we didn't shoot more because we were two of 16. Uh, it wasn't like we just lit it up either. I thought if we did anything well, it was uh, – I think kind of attacking the basket for the most part. And and look, we shot 38 free throws yesterday. 38 free throws. That was ultimately the, the difference for us. We, sh- we went 28 of 38, Alabama 24 of 28. Now, I love a good, competitive, hard-fought basketball game. That's way, way too many free throws for my liking. Well, Charlie, looking back at it, and, you know, I had some guy sitting around me yesterday, and I talked about sitting in the upper deck, and he was like, man, we can't make our free throws. We shot 74% in the game, 28 of 38. Now, Alabama couldn't miss. And it goes back to the point, we beat Alabama, and everybody talks about the style of Alabama. We beat Alabama two for 16 behind the three-point line. It's not like we shot the lights out and were perfect. Now, about the fouls, you know, we had so many fouls in that game. What We had 21, they had 26. I thought early on in the game, Terry Weimer, who is a veteran official, okay, Terry Weimer has been doing this a long time, somewhat like Ted Valentine. And you know what he looked like to me yesterday? He looked like a guy who's an old guy going to try to get control of the game. And then everybody's reaching. I th- hey, I thought the fouls were there because everybody was reaching and they were slapping hands. It was that, you know, a hack of style that you used to see out of Rod Barnes and Ole Miss, you know, 20 years ago. And so there are a lot of fouls being called by Terry Weimer. And then Chuck Jones and Todd Austin are standing there saying, hey, I got a whistle too. And it's like you're you're dealing with your kids. You know, the, the coaches are sitting there saying, hey, why are you letting them get away with it and you're calling us for a foul? And then everybody starts blowing whistles. So that actually makes me think of one other point I wanted to raise about the game yesterday, and that is a potential rule change for college basketball. In the NBA, so let me take you to the situation. End of the game. 
Alabama makes the shot. We have to inbound it up by two late in the ball game. And the first thing they do is grab somebody around midcourt. You remember what I'm talking about? We got it into Iverson Molinar. It looked like he was fouled. We'd be going to the free throw line. But instead, after discussion, there was a foul out at midcourt. So you, you remember that situation? I do remember that situation, and that is my thought too, is something's got to change with that rule because then you can start grabbing everybody. But let me tell you this, until it happens to Kentucky or Duke or somebody like that, and, and Dick Vitale can go crazy about it, or Jay Billis can go crazy about it, uh, among all the crazier things that Jay Billis goes crazy about, until that happens, nothing's going to change. So the NBA has a rule, and the NBA basically, if you foul before the inbound, then you get one free throw, and I believe I'm correct in saying that you get to pick who shoots it and you get ball possession. Now, in college basketball, you'd have to have determined that it was an intentional foul, i.e. a flagrant one, where you're not trying to make a legitimate play on the ball or the player, in which case you would get two free throws. There's no way, though, they're calling a flagrant one right there, even if by rule it could be. So people say, why don't teams do it all the time? I think the only downside to doing it is you lose the chance at the five-second call. You lose a chance at a steal on the inbounds. But otherwise, if they got somebody out there who can't shoot a free throw, why not? That's exactly the case. That's exactly what I'm doing. I mean, can you imagine Shaquille O'Neal playing under that rule? I mean, they'd be, they'd be hooking that sucker up around midcourt every single time. Oh, it'd be miserable, and it would further kill the play. So NBA made that rule change, I think, about six years ago. I would like to see college basketball consider looking at making a rule change there. Basically, the idea of fouling before the inbounds pass, you get one free throw, and then you throw it back in again. All right, Charlie, you start talking about perceptions of the game. If I were to tell you, after watching that game yesterday, who led in offensive rebounding? Was it Mississippi State or Alabama? I'm talking about the ball kicking around loose on the floor. If I'd have told you that Mississippi State out-rebounded Alabama in offensive rebounds 18 to 13. Would you believe me? No, I probably would not have, but it goes back to one of the things that we see all the time in sports. When we leave a game, we're going to think about in football all the penalties that we got. We're going to think about all the times that we struck out, and you seemingly ignore the fact that you might have even been doubled up by the other team. Same thing. There is nothing more frustrating than watching a team get a second chance point. It, it just drives you crazy. And I go back to just a brief detour. When Mississippi State's women's team had those two runs, those two years under Vic when they were so good, that was the thing when you had Tara McCowan. About half her points were coming on offensive rebounds. Offensive rebounds can change a basketball game. Watching it yesterday, I would not have guessed that we had out-rebounded them on the offensive glass. And we had more second chance points. We had 21 second chance points to their 16. We out-rebounded them total 43 to 32. I mean, you see, you start looking through here. The only thing we didn't do well is we didn't shoot the threes well. Just two for 16. Of course, they didn't shoot them well either. They were 28%. They doubled us up 28%, 8 of 29. The thing that Alabama did do a good job of, like we did, they shot the free throws extremely well. They were 24 of 28. I mean, they wouldn't miss when they went to the free throw line. But at the end of the day, man, you start looking back at this game, and I go back to the point of saying, you know, if, if we wanted a clean game without a ton of fouls called, you may not win that game against Alabama. We kind of needed that ugly game to win that game, and we did. You know, 78-76. And I'll say this too, Charlie. I go back and say the product of going to a basketball game and sitting there in Humphrey Coliseum, and like I said, I, I bet, what, 4,500, 5,000 people were there yesterday, and I don't know what we said the number was, but that was just my, my thought, my feel of what it was. And, of course, we've been in there when it's packed. The thing about TV is they try to make the product so good in football where it makes you want to sit at home. I mean, to me, that's the biggest rival is ESPN, trying to create a product where I can sit on my outdoor patio and watch games all day long. You can't replicate that in basketball. And the, to be honest with you, the product they're putting out there right now doesn't take away. I mean, you can go to a basketball game like yesterday. There is no way I could have sat in my den yesterday and had the same feels 
that I did yesterday sitting in Humphrey Coliseum. In football, I think the way that you keep the crowds coming is from outside the game experiences. It's the tailgating. It's the seeing the friends. It's the getting the day to catch up with people that you only see four or five, six times a year when they're here for a sporting event. Basketball, though, the game itself is better in person. Because in football, when you go and watch a broadcast, you can see things now, given the way TVs are, that you cannot see when you are there. You can learn things that you can't learn when you're at the stadium. Basketball, that's just not the case. And it is especially true, little rant alert here, Bart, when the announcers aren't in the stadium. It's especially true when they aren't there to tell you those things that are happening away from the camera that you can't see. And look, let's just go. We said this last year. We're going to live through this again in baseball, and it's going to drive me crazy. But it's not about COVID anymore. It's about money. It is about saving money. Because I had somebody tell me yesterday, look, so many people have died from COVID, and that's why they're not doing that. Then why why are there going to be announcers at NFL games today? Why are there going to be announcers at NBA games today? Why were there announcers sitting in ball games at Rupp Arena? And if it's so dangerous, why do I have to go do it? The bottom line is it's not about COVID anymore. They invested money in this equipment. They're saving money on hotels. They're saving money on airline tickets. And they don't care about the product unless it's Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky playing. So let me ask this question. From a league standpoint, are you so reliant upon? And I know, hey, that money's good and that check is good. But is it? does it come a point in time and say, hey, guys, listen, what you're doing to the products of our teams, it's almost like we want to mandate you being there. I mean, but can, can you do that? I don't know that you can get away with it. I don't know that we've got a big enough stick right now because of all the money involved. But I think ultimately, I'm telling you, I can put up with it a little bit in basketball. I could put up with it easier if I wasn't having to hear about Duke and Kentucky and Gonzaga and Auburn and all those things that were completely unrelated to what I was trying to watch. But that's another issue. But, man, I'm telling you, think about this. You think Ben McDonald, when he does a college baseball game, doesn't want to be there? You think he doesn't want to be there in person? I don't know. I don't know what power the commissioner of the SEC has, although we hear all the time he's the most powerful guy in sports. That's a drum I would like to see somebody start banging pretty soon because the last thing I want is some guy who's never been to Starkville trying to broadcast a regional baseball game again this year from his living room in, in the Northeast. I just can't, I can't deal with it. I was watching a Vanderbilt game a couple of weeks ago or last week or whenever. And a guy called uh, Vanderbilt VCU twice. Watching Texas women play a couple of weeks ago, they called Texas Mississippi State three times in a five-minute span. And if Texas is having to put up with that, what's everybody else dealing with? Because they're the ones who usually get away with every benefit that they shouldn't. And, hey, this is not two guys who broadcast ball games sitting there pining and saying, hey, we're mad because somebody else is getting paid and somebody else is doing it. That's not the case. This is a standpoint of just wanting a product out there. That's the fan in us being frustrated. That's not the broadcaster in us being frustrated. And, Charlie, here's the thing. When, when you and I do a game, and there's an unwritten rule to not talk about other broadcasters, and I'm not doing that right now. When you and I do a game, we sit there and we focus on the teams that are playing on the floor or teams playing on the field. When we talk about the game, we talk about the teams that are playing that day. And every now and then we'll talk about, hey, what's going on around the league, but it's not the focus. And you kind of wonder about the emphasis being dialed back from the actual game because you're sitting at home and you have to be cognizant if you are a broadcaster of what you're doing. I mean, we could be having the same conversation right now, like we're having back and forth and a game be going on in the background. And essentially, that's what network television has turned into, is two guys just having a conversation. Oh, hey, by the way, there's a dunk by Iverson Molinar. And then, hey, but back to Kentucky, man. That's what's almost become too conversational without the game. Yeah, but, hey, look, ultimately, it was a good win. Good win for Mississippi State yesterday. We needed that really bad. And, look, 
despite frustrations, this team is 12-4. and four. They're 3-1 and one in the SEC. They have a quad one win. And so now, all of a sudden, you look to see it doesn't get easier, right? The, the schedule coming up, you got Florida, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Texas Tech. So, look, you got to go down to Gainesville. You got a chance down there. It's, that's the one thing I think about this league right now. I think there are a lot of games that are just toss-ups that you could win or you could lose. Yeah, Missouri, who knows what you're walking into when you play them. They win big one game, they're terrible the next. That's just kind of how this league's going to be this year. You know, we talked about football, about how it was Georgia and Alabama, and then every, you know, it was about eight teams in there. I think the league this year is Kentucky and Auburn in men's basketball. And then you can throw about five or six teams in there. And one, we're one of those five or six teams. If you could find a way to go two and two over the next four games, and then you play South Carolina in that fifth game, and you could win that game. If you could, if you could go three and two in your next five games, then all of a sudden you're fifteen and six overall, and you're in pretty good shape, to be honest with you. So you're not buying into Texas A&M just yet, I take it. They're sitting there four and zero in the league. No, I'm not. When you start talking about manufactured enthusiasm, that entire program has manufactured enthusiasm. No, I'm not buying into Texas A&M at all. Now, don't let the yell leaders hear that. They may send a message your way. Bring me a glass of milk. All right. So that's where we stand right now. There are, by the way, in the league, Auburn 5-0, and A&M 4-0, then Kentucky and Mississippi State, the two teams sitting there with one loss each. And then, as you say, it looks like Georgia, Missouri, boy, I could go back to last week, Ole Miss at 1-3, and South Carolina, Florida at 1-3. and but, hey, big four games coming up for us. You want two of those, I'd take three. If you win three and then you beat South Carolina, all of a sudden you can start to feel a whole lot better about where we are. Absolutely. And here's the thing, Charlie. We've got baseball starting in a month. And so – but, you know, we need something to tide us over. We, we need – I want to see basketball going to March. I mean, I love to see – and we talk about all the time, hey, we don't talk about basketball, and that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but – I love when Mississippi State is good in basketball. I mean, I just I, it was when I was a kid. It was when I was in school. Basketball was always good. It was good to go. Hey, let me tell you this. we got a basketball game on Saturday, 2 o'clock against Ole Miss. And right now you've got six days. And there's a lot of people that have tickets. And, I, I, hey, listen, I, I saw yesterday on them, what it, was it message boards or Facebook pages or whatever about, man, all these corporations that have the tickets down low. Let me tell you this. I know firsthand there ain't many corporations that have tickets. We don't. We're not. We're not sitting in a major metropolitan area where a lot of corporations buy up tickets. We don't have that. There's not a bunch of corporations. There may be a guy that owns a company or owns his own business that has his tickets down there. But as far as the quote unquote corporations that buy tickets, so you got six days. And let me tell you this: you got six days. Find a way to get somebody in your seats. If you can't be there, if you look on the calendar, you know you've got. Travel baseball is not going on right now. So usually January is the month that you can go to basketball. If you can't be in Startville at 2 o'clock on Saturday, spend the next six days figuring out. It's an easy transfer now because all the tickets are mobile. All you got to do is text your seats. And just make sure you got somebody in the seat, not Ole Miss fans, but somebody in the seats between now and Saturday because I go back to the point of when that place is rocking and that place is, is loud, Nothing beats the product of a good basketball game at Humphrey Coliseum. I'm just a firm believer in that. No, I think you're absolutely right. And you mentioned it, but baseball, not far away, Bart. We are getting much closer to baseball season. High schools will actually get started even a little bit sooner than we will. People are going to play in the cold weather. But before we jump, I've got a football question for you, Bart. Okay. Stetson Bennett leads Georgia, I'll put leads in quotes, to a national championship. The thing that I've heard a lot this year is that to win football, you must have an elite quarterback. Does Stetson Bennett undo that narrative, or is it just that Georgia is so good everywhere else? All right, Charlie. When I look at Stetson Bennett the eighth, I think of Greg McElroy. All right, Greg McElroy was an average quarterback. 
even though he plays the part of an expert on TV now, I thought he was a. I thought he was an average quarterback. He's an above average quarterback. Not great. Not terrible. I think to win with an average quarterback, you've got to have an elite defense. It's the same thing. I mean, that's the way that Alabama won their first couple national championships with a game quote unquote game manager at quarterback. I think you can get away with Stetson Bennett at quarterback if your defense is absolutely elite. It's kind of like, you know, Clemson was a few years ago. Boy, and by the way, man, have they fallen a little bit pretty quick. But I think you've got to have just an elite style of defense that completely shuts everybody down to win with a quote-unquote you know, average quarterback. And this is not a knock at Stetson Bennett. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the story. I think the story is great. You know, coming to Jones and what he did there and then going back to George, he's a Georgia guy. And by the way, let me tell you this. I'm not trying to be contrarian at all. I'm positive because we won a big basketball game yesterday. But don't tell me the story of the guy knew since he was three years old that he wanted to be the starting quarterback at Georgia. Let me tell you, we've had kids. My three-year-old doesn't know what a quarterback or a wide receiver is, and he didn't know whether he wants to be the starting quarterback. What does he want to be, the backup quarterback? I think we kind of overdrive these stories a little bit too much on TV. But he was three years old. No, 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 he wasn't. He, he was wanting to snow cone at the ball game when he was three years old. He didn't care about what position he played. He just wanted the pickle from the concession stand, right? So he wants a snow cone and a Sprite. All right, he he didn't sit there and say, "Daddy, I want to dissect that two deep coverage at three years old." It's a touch much, okay? Always the cynic. I knew I could count on you for a little snark this morning. Um, all right, so that is um, that's my only football question. Oh, by the way, one thing we did learn yesterday: don't try to hit your ex-wife with cars. You brought up uh, one Alabama quarterback. Look, Jay, man. Just take it from me. Walk away, man. Just walk away. Did you see that? Jay Barker, former national champion. And, hey, I'm not I'm not one to sit here and wallow in other people's misery, and I'm not making fun of anybody whatsoever because that is a serious situation. It, it really is, and I try to do, not say anything. But let me tell you this. If there's anything that you're not going to get away with, all right, you can get you can try to get away with a lot of different things and try to keep them quiet. But if you try to run somebody over with a car, you're going to get called, probably. And you're probably going to spend some time in jail, which he did. Um, yeah, that's that was not the – and, hey, man, Sarah Evans. It's Sarah Evans. He tried to run over Sarah Evans. Well, I thought Suds in the Bucket was an okay song. Um, not sure I've been terribly impressed by her catalog since then. But as your legal advisor, Bart, I, I would like to insert the word allegedly. And clothes hanging out on the line. The suds in the bucket. Yeah, suds in the bucket. Yeah, so allegedly, allegedly is the key word. I'm sure we're going to find out this was all just a misunderstanding. Hey, but you know what? You, I saw a picture today because you got snow at Nanawaya down here in Startville or up here in Startville as the case may be not a thing but we both got to have our strange brew coffee you actually tweeted out a picture of your mug with snow in the background all I can do is show you a little rain with my coffee today yeah it's winter wonderland down in southern Winston County today it's beautiful and so that was my first thought is I'm not going to be able to get out on the road this morning and uh, come up there and join you in the studio but it is a beautiful day here in the God's Country, Nanawoya. Hey, that song was written, God's Country, by Hardy, about five miles down the road. So, uh, yeah, we got, what, about three inches of snow. I mean, I think over in Pelahatchee and somewhere in Rankin County, they were getting five inches of snow. And I'll say this, too, Charlie. You know, my kids were out on the gator this morning riding around. If you take an old direct TV dish, drill three holes in it, two of them for a handle, one of them that ties to the tractor, you can have a lot of fun in the snow in the country. Somehow, I have the feeling that the the rule book for growing up in Nanawaya is a little bit different than the rule book for growing up, say, in the more developed areas of the state like Starkville. Lucas Nowell used to have a hood of an old car, 
and you had to bend up the front end of it so it didn't dig in the ground if you ever got to a spot that didn't have snow. But if you bent it up and curved it up a little bit and you hooked it up to a chain and a tractor, that's just stuff right there that, that you just can't do in downtown Starville. I'll, I'll give you that. I will give you that much. That, that, I have never done that. Um, so anyway, thanks to our friends over at Strange Brew, um, helping bring this Sunday coffee to you. We are, or I am in the Farm Bureau studios. Bart is down in that winter wonderland of, is it Southeast Winston County? It's Southeast Winston County. And when I look at the snow and I look in the treetops, I picture myself in the Swiss Alps. Okay. Uh, so anyway, we mentioned baseball season is coming up and I'm really excited about baseball. And, you know, we talked, you know, in football this year, we had that tracks plus deep dig on, on Fridays where we really got into the numbers and I'm excited about trying to do that some during baseball this year and kind of digging in with another deep dig type approach leading into weekends. Some of them will have to do on Thursdays, I suppose, cause we're going to have some Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, but Bart, I have a couple of baseball, just seeds I want to plant, okay? I don't know that we have to dig into them all just yet, but I want to plant some seeds. Didn't you tweet me something? I mean, I saw something on Twitter and got some notifications, and I just didn't have a chance to look at it because I was drinking coffee in the snow this morning. But didn't you send me a tweet about something? Yeah, I was going to ask you the question. I, I want to revisit this as we kind of go forward with our baseball shows as well. The all-time most underrated Mississippi State baseball players. Guys who, as we start looking back and talking about greats, don't talk about enough. I actually threw out two guys in response to, to some of the conversation, and those were Drew Williams and Rex Buckner. You know, Drew Williams played, uh, I think of him as a first baseman. He played some third, but let us in hitting a couple of times, let us in home runs a couple of times. And then Rex Buckner, an outfielder who – led us in hitting several times. Those were two guys that, as I was just kind of starting to think about it, kind of jump out at me as not getting the amount of credit when we get together and we start talking about baseball that they probably deserve. You know, there's probably a lot of guys that played in the 60s and 70s that kind of fit in that mold too, that simply because we were not around and didn't see them that we don't think about. Guys like Phil Steele, you know, and guys like Mike Prophet who was really good, a good left-handed pitcher. You know, I think about it, and when you said, yeah, I did see that and uh, about the tweet, and the, my first thought is, what about guys that played different positions because they had to just to help the ball club? Was it a, you know, you, you mentioned Rex Buckner. The first, the first guy, it's amazing how you think of guys in pairs, okay? When I think of Rex Buckner, I think of Thomas Burkery because Thomas Burkery broke Rex Buckner's record about the hit streak. Okay, and why do I say Thomas Burkery? Because the guy played catcher for you, the guy played second base for you, the guy played shortstop for you, the guy played third base for you, all right? I mean, it's it's guys that can move around that you may not start talking about them as far as quote-unquote you know, star power, which Thomas was a good player. He was a really good player. And then I start thinking about a guy like Travis Chapman, second base, shortstop, third base, what they do for you. Ed Easley played catcher and third base. I mean, guys that played different positions. Steve DeHercule, all right, a shortstop who pitched in the NCAA regional that I ran into Gene Stevenson, the old coach at Wichita State, a couple years ago in Omaha, and he looked at me and says, hey, y'all had a guy named Steve DeHercule that just shoved it on us over in Clemson in the NCAA regional. And so th- those are the guys I think about that are underrated because they do so many different things at different positions. You mentioned Drew Williams. I think he's one of those guys. So that then kind of led me into another thought. And again, this is a much, we could have a very long conversation. So we'll just bookmark this for, for the future. So I woke up this morning as I am prone to do about three in the morning and much to my wife's chagrin, I always have my iPad right by me. And so I pick up my iPad And for whatever reason, I started scrolling through old baseball stats and record books and that kind of thing. So here's kind of the rabbit hole I went down, okay? The first thing is I was looking for underappreciated. There are guys who in our time don't get the attention that they deserve. I think we've named a couple. Then there are some guys who were before our time that don't get the attention they deserve. Now, you could go way back. Uh, 
but I go back even to the 60s, a guy like Frank Montgomery, who's going to be in the Ring of Honor. So, look, Frank Montgomery's an All-American. It's not like he was forgotten or underappreciated, but I think maybe we, because of our age, just kind of missed that cutoff. And so I started looking at what Frank Montgomery did and just some outstanding numbers. And, in fact, one of the things that he did leads me to ask you this question, Bart. We talk a lot about the Triple Crown, all right? In fact, at the, at the stadium, we have the Triple Crown Club. And when you think Triple Crown, you think of Rooker and Palmero, right? But I have two other guys. Hitting, batting. So my question is, do you believe in the pitching Triple Crown? First, I need you to define the pitching Triple Crown. All right, so it's kind of changed over the years. Originally... Pre, I think, 1956 or so, it was wins winning percentage in ERA. But in since about 1956 on, the idea of the pitching triple crown is wins, earn run average, and strikeouts. And so we have two guys who have led the SEC in all three of those categories. Frank Montgomery in 1962, he went 10-0. He would have won it under either criteria, by the way. He went 10-0. and 0. He had an ERA of 0.68, and he had 102 strikeouts. That, that's just phenomenal. And then you come forward to 1979, Kenny Kurtz. 12 wins, an ERA of 2.09 and 100 strikeouts, led the league in all three categories. So I'm making a, a, a suggestion, and that is that these guys should also be considered – as triple crown winners. Hey, not only that, you start talking about, you know, guys that you don't want to say underappreciated, but you start talking about Frank Montgomery and Kenny Kurtz and what Kenny Kurtz did in that 79 season. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. I mean, hey, to be good, you got to have good pitching, even in today's world of Major League Baseball and in baseball. These pitching stats are just, they don't carry the same weight in today's world as the guys the plate. And, and I agree with you, Charlie. That's probably not a good thing. So that's my new campaign. I want to see Frank Montgomery and Kenny Kurtz remembered as pitching triple crown winners at Mississippi State. So then that, Bart, led me further down the rabbit hole, which got me to going back. When you start thinking about rings of honor and those kind of things, about how far back do you go? And I got to reading about Huey Kreitz. You may not be familiar with Huey Kreitz, but he played baseball at Mississippi State in the 20s. His dad, Colonel Kreitz, was a professor at Mississippi State. But he actually played, I think, like 10 years in the major leagues, won a World Series with the Detroit Tigers. He was a second baseman. He actually was runner-up for MVP in the late 20s, I think 24 or 26 maybe. So that's another thing as we go forward. I just hate guys like that, kind of from the – the early years of baseball just kind of being overlooked and forgotten. So that may be another pet project of mine this year is to find guys like Huey Kreitz, Willie Mitchell we've talked about before, the guy that I think struck out Babe Ruth twice in his first game, had the perfect game for Mississippi State with 26 strikeouts against LSU. I kind of really enjoyed digging into those parts of the record books too. So that's what I did this morning between 3 and 4 a.m. You know what I did this morning at 5 a.m.? As I started looking at whose birthday was today, okay? First of all, Albert Pujols turns 42 today. Whoa, 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 whoa. Albert Pujols officially, as far as we know, turns 42 today. Albert Pujols has got a – I mean, you know, the ages for some of these guys are a little bit suspect. That's true. But that's another story for another day about starting – looking at birthdays from guys that come from from Latin America. But do you know who else was born on this day in 1910? Born on this day, now dead, Dizzy Dean. Dizzy Dean was born on January the 16th. All right, so Dizzy Dean, if you were our age, you've got to remember this. The charcoal. You remember Dizzy Dean was on the side of the charcoal bags that your dad always used to cook with? What was it called? Old Diz or something like that? And that was a part of my rabbit hole is because, you know, after he played, and of course he was that great player, and then he became a broadcaster. But when he retired later in life, his wife was from Mississippi. 
and they constructed a charcoal plant in Pachuta, just south of Meridian, beginning in 1962, okay? And they had the old Diz charcoal. Let me tell you this. If you bought Kingsford charcoal in the Gregory household and didn't buy old Diz, you could be cast out. But, you know, his wife was from Bond, Mississippi, which is down in Stone County. I think it's North Stone County. And, you know, Dizzy Dean died in, what, 1974, but he's in the Bond Cemetery. He has a big – he had a big tie to the state of Mississippi, even though he grew up in Arkansas. But he only attended school through the second grade. So, I mean, I read up on Dizzy Dean last night. Of course, when we played baseball growing up, we played in the Dizzy Dean League. That's what we played in. But he was born on this day – January the 16th in 1910. He only went to school through second grade? Yep, only went to second grade. Started pitching for the U.S. Army for the Fort Sam Houston baseball team. He was 19 years old, and they actually played the Chicago White Sox in like a little scrimmage game. They used to have that all the time. And so he was just working through that White Sox lineup, and the Chicago manager looked out there and said, knock that dizzy kid out of the box. And that's when he got the nickname. Dizzy Dean. You know, there is a Dizzy Dean rest stop somewhere in South Mississippi, somewhere near Wiggins, maybe. That's food for thought for another day. So we do some deep dig dives on some of our former players that played early on, but also some of these guys that played and had Mississippi ties as well. Dizzy Dean, born on this day. All right, one last thought for you, Bart, a little off the record. I've noticed – um, some of the athletic departments, and I think I saw our good friends up at Vanderbilt tweeting about this the other day, and they were bragging about the number of interactions that they had on their social media accounts, basically trying to imply that Vanderbilt baseball is especially popular because people are engaging with their tweets. Last night I was sitting on the couch watching Ole Miss play and kind of bouncing back and forth. Within 30 seconds of Ole Miss losing, there have been 200 responses to their tweet posting the score. Just anecdotally, I'd say roughly all of them from Auburn fans with different pictures and the like about how Ole Miss lost. I mean, it's like they had an army ready to go as soon as that game was over. And yet somebody at Ole Miss is going to be very proud to walk into an office today and brag about how many interactions they got on Twitter. The social media metric business is uh, one of the most annoying things that I've seen going right now. You know, we saw Vanderbilt make fun of Tennessee losing in the bowl game on their Twitter. They said something about, you know, losing in Nashville or whatever. And, of course, you know, this coming – just a few weeks after Tennessee had wiped the floor with Vanderbilt. And then you've got all these comments underneath, all the likes, the retweets, and all the comments underneath, and everybody going crazy. And you say, why would an idiot who runs the Twitter account at Vanderbilt do that? And then all of a sudden you sit there and say, for those reasons, Charlie, it's about interactions. Now, you know, everybody posts the score on Twitter and on Facebook after wins and losses. And and I'm not one of these people that says you should run away and run and hide when you lose. But also, when you just throw that out there and you start seeing all these people, then all of a sudden you start giving a voice to people who you don't even know. And they can say whatever it is about your program. And then somebody who's kind of on the outside looking in as a fan says, man, these people are going crazy. I can't believe they're so mad. And it gets everybody stirred up. And then they start tweeting and retweeting and things of that nature. And then all of a sudden you got somebody sitting in an office going, man, can you imagine? Look at all the social interactions we're doing. Social interactions are not just positive things. They're negative things too. And it's not just – Mississippi State or Ole Miss or Vanderbilt, and everybody likes to throw out these rankings about how many social interactions you're getting. But that's good and bad. And so then you got to ask yourself the question for that guy at Vanderbilt, okay? So some kid at Vanderbilt who's throwing that out there and he's beating his chest about how good his social interactions are, is that the best thing for Vanderbilt University? That's the thing you've got to ask yourself, is inviting the negativity in is it worth the negativity that that tweet or that Facebook post or that Facebook you know, image, is it worth it to the university? 
when that tweet is sent, is it what's better about the person who is saying, man, we got all the social interaction? Is it better for me or is it better for Vanderbilt University? And I tell you what, Charlie, I have a, I don't like that. I, I don't like that at all. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you're going to get me going on, and I'm going to stop right here. Well, there was a movie made, I think, back in the 90s, maybe the 80s, Dudley Moore. You remember Dudley Moore? So he had a movie called Crazy People. And the, the idea was that he went to this place where everybody was having these mental breakdowns, and they were developing, they decided to develop and start doing ad campaigns. They created an ad agency. Apparently he had been an executive. But everything was just so brutally true that it called on. And so I was thinking about that. Like, I would just once like to see a team just get it handed to them by a rival and say, well, that sucked. We'll try again next year. You know, just just instead of the – it drives me nuts. You see, like, this great graphic with some guy dunking, and then the score at the bottom is they just got beat by 30. That's what just drives me nuts. Hey, and on, to end on a positive note, though, I am glad that we won that basketball game yesterday because Shaq Moore had a dunk that I would like to be able to remember positively. I'm glad it didn't get wasted in a loss. And let me tell you this, Charlie, And I, when we travel on the road and we're around teams, I usually don't say anything about your interactions because what happens behind closed doors happens behind closed doors. We've been in that situation before, good and bad, okay? But I want to tell you something about Shaq Moore. And we're in the Bahamas in basketball, and we're sitting there eating or about to eat, and and you're in the little breakout room at the convention center, and you're about to have your meal. And it was a it was a dinner after practice one day, okay? And you know how it goes is the players go first. You always let the player, the radio guy and the SIDs and the people with the team, you don't eat first. You sit there and wait till everybody else goes first. Somebody better give Jason Crowder that memo. Okay, so I'm speaking to Jason Crowder right now. If you're the radio guy or anybody associated with the team, you sit back and you let everybody go through. You let the players go through. You let the coaches go through because why are you there? You have to understand why you're there. You're there to play basketball. You're there to play a sport, and so you let the players go through first. It's just common courtesy, to be honest with you. And what do managers do? They normally hang around the back because most of the time managers are the selfless guys that are up at 3 o'clock in the morning washing the jerseys and getting everything ready for the next day. And then, oh, by the way, they're back up at 7 in the morning to make sure everything is right for practice. Hey, I think the world – of managers, student managers, student trainers, and trainers because they're on call 24 hours a day. Okay, that's a long story. So we're sitting back and waiting on everybody to go through, and it looks like all the players have gone through. And then I'm going to let the managers go next, and then me and Richard Williams are talking back in the back corner. And so one of the managers gets ready to go through the line to fix his plate, and Shaquille Moore comes walking in. And he had been he had gotten his tape cut off or whatever, and so he was a little bit late getting to the dinner right there. And so the the manager takes a step back and says, "Go ahead, Shaq." And he looks at him and says, "Man, I'm not breaking the line in front of you." He said, "No, no, go ahead. And players go first. He's like, "Dude, you work just as hard as I do. You probably work harder than I do. You're, I'm not breaking the line in front of you." And let me tell you, at that moment, I came a Shaq Moore fan. Because he stood there and says, no, the manager's going before me because you've been standing here in line. And let me tell you that. Little things, man, I, I like that. And yesterday he brought down the house with an offhand dunk. He's a left-handed guy, and he brought it down with a right hand. But I love Shaq Moore, not only as a player, but for that day or not stepping in front of that manager to eat in line. So let me see if I can do this the way you would. And you know who else does the little things, Bart? Our friends at Bank First. Bank First, they do the little things. Did I, did I segue that right? That was perfect, Charlie. I'm getting proud of you. You're hanging around me long enough that you're learning the segue. All right, so Bank First, they've got banks all over Mississippi into Alabama. Go see our friend Dennis Bach here in Starville. John Shapley, he's down in Hattiesburg. Yep, he'll take care of you. Had a chance to 
chat back and forth with him not too long ago. So bank first, find them. They take care of you. It's, look, they're a growing bank, but they still have that small bank mentality. It's the kind of place you go in. They know who you are. It's You can get somebody local on the telephone. You're not having to call you know, somebody four states away and get routed back. So go see our friends over at Bank First. Hey, Charlie. Also, Tracks Plus, all those great guys at Tracks Plus, four locations, and uh, the Barco equipment for the foresters. They've got uh, the Saney equipment for the excavators, four locations, great customer service. And start talking about all these guys. The one thing we do have to talk about before we leave today is how about Billy Blunt from Springdale, Arkansas? Billy Blunt grew up in Water Valley, and now he lives in Springdale, Arkansas. Big Mississippi State guy. He won our Pick'em contest. He went 26-9. and nine. So when you start thinking about who to take with you to gamble, and I'm not one of those guys that does that, but if you want to pick somebody, let me tell you something, Billy Blunt knows what he's doing. So just send him a plethora of stuff. Coolers from Farm Bureau, Tracks Plus, Startwell, City of Startwell, Strange Brew Coffee House, Two Brothers. Man, we sent him just a ton of stuff for winning our pick'em. Charlie, it was nuts, man, about how many people entered our pick'em contest for the bowl season. And so we picked all the bowl games, and so I'm looking forward to doing that again in the future. And, man, I tell you what, but Billy Blunt, Springdale, Arkansas, if you know Billy, if you went to school with Billy, you need to call Billy if you ever start thinking about betting on games. So maybe we need a segment next year on our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. Uh, we'll get Billy Blunt on to handicap the weekend. How about that? Billy's Picks, brought to you by Billy. Yeah, to be determined. That's a sponsor waiting to happen right there, baby. And look, if he wins that many games, uh, that's worth a sponsor. No doubt. Hey, Charlie, enjoyed it as always. Went a little long this morning, but, uh, hey, it's a snow day down here in Nettawoya, man. It's not like we're going to do anything else. Well, good. I'm going to go outside and watch it rain. Hope you have a good day, Bart. I'm going to go hook up the tractor to a direct TV dish. How far is it to the uh, Winston General Hospital? About the same distance to the... Kemper County Hospital, we have a selection. Well, hopefully you won't be having to make such a pick. So, anyway, Bart, enjoyed it, and I guess we'll do it again next week. Yep. Hey, we're right on the cusp. We're getting ready for our spring sports season. We're going to have out of left field coming into midweek, next couple of weeks, sooner or later. we got to get together and talk about that. Also, we're going to have our Sunday coffee, our deep digs, and Look back at baseball on the weekend review. We've got all things coming, all kind of things coming up in the spring sports season for you right here. Charlie, appreciate it. Enjoyed it as always. Thanks to our fine sponsors, Strange Brew Coffee House. It was great this morning. Had a little blueberry cobbler flavor coffee this morning. Farm Bureau, go with the home team, our Farm Bureau Studios, Tracks Plus, Bank First, and the Mississippi Beef Council. Beef, it's what's for dinner. Brought to you by the Mississippi Cattlemen and their checkoff. Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Sunday Coffee.